Matthew chapter 2, verse 13, these are God's words. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night, and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. And he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem, and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose, took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, and being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. So far the reading of God's inspired and inerrant word. As we go through this passage in verses 13 through 23, uh, each section is concluded by the Holy Spirit carrying Matthew along to write about a fulfillment of some prophecy. And uh, this helps us understand how to read the prophecy of Scripture uh, as being especially all about the Lord Jesus Christ and the work of redemption that God is doing through the Lord Jesus Christ. There are those who come to the passages with some arrogance. They come to out of Egypt I have called my son, in verse 15 here. And they look back in Hosea 11, and they see that that's quoting about when Ephraim was a child, uh, the Lord saved him out of Egypt in the poetry of Hosea chap uh, chapter 11. And they say, well, that's not talking about the Messiah. That's talking about Ephraim. That's talking about Israel, the northern kingdom. But, when you look at Hosea 11, it's talking about how the Lord had saved Israel, Ephraim in particular, for himself. And throughout that chapter, about how God had adopted Ephraim, as it were, using the poetic language of sonship for him, but that Ephraim is a wayward child. And yet God's heart longs over Ephraim. And so he's going to save Ephraim in that 
tender love in which he saved him, uh, in which he originally took him to himself, despite the fact that Ephraim has been a stubborn and rebellious and wicked son. And so the salvation of those who are God's elect from Ephraim ultimately comes the one who is not only, not merely an adopted son, but actually the only begotten son. And not just the only begotten son in his person, uh, but uh, the one who conducts himself not as a rebellious son, but as a perfectly obedient and loving and true son in every way. Jesus is the son that Ephraim should have been. He is the son who is opposite Ephraim's character. And so, as God makes these promises and predictions about his salvation of his people and the various prophets, there are temporary fulfillments, short-term fulfillments, but all of the temporary and short-term fulfillments ultimately look forward to God's ultimate salvation in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so rather than sitting in judgment over the passage and saying, well, I don't see how that's a fulfillment of that, and so um, Matthew is uh, is playing fast and loose with Hosea, we must sit in humility under the text and say, the Holy Spirit by Matthew is teaching me to read God's word in light of God's plan to redeem through his Son. And indeed, what we see, and this passage is consistent with how we saw the book of Matthew begin, that really, the genealogies, what has come of everything, uh, and in particular, what came of Adam, as Genesis 5 was quoted, that Adam was really all about Jesus, and that Abraham was really all about the Lord Jesus. And that David was really all about the Lord Jesus. And so learning to read the entire Bible and learning to view all of history as one great account of God's redemption in Jesus Christ. So that when you read Hosea and you read the tender longing love of God over a rebellious child and his intent to save them, You read it in the context of the whole Bible as his intent to save them through the true son who is obedient, not rebellious. And so he is the, he is the son who is opposite their character. That's the point. He didn't deserve to have murderous Herod seek to take the child's life and destroy him. He didn't deserve to be exiled from the land that was his own even if just for a few months. Yet he has come in great measure to render the obedience that we have not and to receive the wrath that we deserved. This will be picked up, of course, in the quote from Psalm 22 later that he himself cries out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that's the first part in verse 13 through 15. Jesus is the Son 
and is opposite to our character. The second part, in verses 16 through 18, Jesus is the king who is opposite our deserts. When you read, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. And you realize that comes from Jeremiah 31. Back to Jeremiah 31. And what you see in Jeremiah 31 is that this is in the short term at that time, talking about what uh, what happens to Israel as a whole in the Babylonian uh, exile. And uh, a well-deserved exile and destruction. And yet, in that passage as well, God promises, prophesies, that even the destruction that they deserve will ultimately be part of his plan to bring them the salvation that he is determined to give them that is opposite what they deserve. That the exile won't be the last word. That indeed there will be not just new life, but a new covenant, an entirely new administration, which means new, uh, new covenant mediator, new prophet, priest, and king, uh, and one who, in his covenant mediation, uh, gains for us that uh, God writes and gives us a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone, writes his word upon our hearts. And so the administration that does come under King Jesus, under the Lord Jesus Christ, is marked by a great pouring out of his spirit in which far more, uh, uh, far greater proportion of those who are in the churches under the, the administration of Christ a great, much greater proportion of them are genuinely spiritually converted than those who are uh, under the covenant administration under Moses. And so the Lord is going to send them a king who is opposite what they deserve. So Jesus is the son who is opposite our character. And Jesus says the king he saves us by being the son who is opposite our character. He saves us by being the king who is opposite what we deserve. And he saves us by a humility that is opposite the dignity of his person. And this we find in verses 19 through 23. And Herod is dead. Lord, an angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream. He says, go back. Now, Joseph is from Nazareth. We know that from um, from Luke's account specifically, he says Joseph went up from Nazareth to Bethlehem because of the sentence. But remember, uh, he's been addressed by the angel as the son of David. He knows that his uh, his adopted son, the one who is in Mary by the Holy Spirit, is the promised king. Uh, and so he was determined to come back to Bethlehem, which is just a few miles from Jerusalem, maybe 10, but is very near Jerusalem. But we also know from Luke, and we've already considered in Matthew, the necessity uh, for Jesus to have a godly father, that Joseph took his family up 
to Jerusalem for every Passover, which, of course, is uh, right to do according to the law, and all the more important, if your son is the Messiah, and he was probably sacrificing his at-home connections, etc., so that he could bring Jesus up in the place that was appropriate to Jesus' office. And so he's <coughs> determined at first to come to Bethlehem. Now, one of the things that happened at the first Passover when Archelaus was king was there had been a uh, a rebellion against the memory of his father Herod. Uh, and Archelaus had killed 3,000 worshipers in Jerusalem, 3,000 of the faithful in uh, in Jerusalem at the time of the Passover. So Joseph had gotten to see up front and center. This is not some mere paranoia. Uh, this is him weighing where the Messiah, who has been entrusted to his care, should be brought up. And he wants to bring him up in the place that is appropriate to his kingly office. But, he's warned in the dream, uh, in verse 22, and so he turns aside to the region of Galilee, and he goes back to his own city. Verse 23 doesn't tell us that it's his own city. We know that from uh, from the book of Luke. But then it says that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, plural, he shall be called a Nazarene. Now some people look back to the Old Testament looking for the word Nazarene, and the closest they get is Nazarite, and they come up with some explanation of Jesus being a fulfillment of the Nazarite vow. The only problem for that is that, that the Greek word for Nazarite is not the same word, Greek word as for Nazarene. It just means somebody who is from Nazareth. Well, that's not the only problem. Another problem is it's prophets, plural. Uh, and yet the prophets did, prophets, plural, did prophesy the humility and the lowest state of the Messiah especially Isaiah, uh, but also uh, others, the Psalms especially. And this is uh, how someone who from was from Nazareth was looked upon. In fact, the first time we hear about Jesus uh, himself um, being from Nazareth, <laughs> he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And when Pharisees argue with one another, one of the ways they mock each other is, are you from Galilee? Uh, and so uh, his being called a Nazarene uh, is a reference to the fact that rather than being brought up in a kingly manner, he is brought up, rather than being brought up as royalty, he is being brought up uh, as of a poor and humble class and state, which the Lord has done for our salvation. And so he is he is brought up in a humility that is opposite the dignity of his person and of his office. And so as the Holy Spirit teaches us to <clears throat> understand the scriptures as being uh, all about Christ and his salvation, uh, he is also showing us that he is the son who is opposite our character. And so we need to hope in him alone 
to be all of our righteousness and all of our obedience. And in his sacrifice to atone for all of our sin. And that he is the king who is opposite what we deserve. And so we look not to any worthiness or sincerity of repentance or any of that on our side. But we look to the mercy of God. Who in his saving love is determined to give his people opposite what they deserve. And by his power controls history to send his salvation in the promised king. And then in the last place, that he saves us through a humility and that brings him into a low condition that is opposite the dignity of his person and the dignity of his office, to which we make uh, two great applications uh, from Philippians chapter 2, which especially highlights that. One is that we would have the same mind in us that was in the Lord Jesus, that we would be willing not to be esteemed as great in this world. And the other, that we would uh, participate in giving to Jesus what Philippians 2 says God gives him for his great humbling of himself, and that is the praise of his name above every other name, and the bowing of our knee, and the confessing of our tongue, that Jesus Christ is Lord, that we would be amazed that he would humble himself, (coughs) that we would be amazed that he would humble himself in order to save us. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for teaching these things to us about your Son, our Lord Jesus. And we do thank you and praise you for his perfect sonship towards you, his perfect obedience and righteousness. And we pray that you would count him as our righteousness and forgive us of our sins. We thank you and praise you for the mercy, the unearnable, demerited mercy in which you save us, the power in which you gave a king, a salvation, who is opposite what we deserve. We praise you, Lord Jesus, that although you did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, you humbled yourself to be born a man, and that in a low condition, and even to be brought up in the city of Nazareth, where you might be despised by the world. We pray that you would give us of your spirit, that we would be humble and meek, and not shrink from being despised by the world, and that you would get the glory that is due to you for such a marvelous salvation in which you humbled yourself. Hasten the day, we pray, when every knee bows and every tongue confesses in heaven and the earth and under the earth that you are Lord to the glory of God the Father, which we ask in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.